And the guy stopped me one day. It was like four of the guys. I said, Dre, man, what's up with you in this program building? I said, I got problems. They said, dude, you're the smartest guy in the prison. I said, dude, I, my me and my father, our relationship is horrible. It's driving me crazy. Got me doing all this crazy stuff. I'm trying to fix that so I can get my life together. They said, dude, you don't have problems. You're the boss. You run stuff. Why you, what's really going on over there? I felt like he was trying to call me out. He was gonna like leverage up on me, like Dre ain't been active in a while. This is my little underhand way of trying to get at him. So I said, let me explain something to you. I'm going to counseling tomorrow. And I got two options. One, I can go to counseling and I can talk about me and my dad's relationship and how it's actually derailed my life. Or two, I can go to the unit, get my knife, come back, stab you in the face. I can go to counseling tomorrow and talk about how this guy got in my way of me trying to talk about my dad. You pick it. He is an incredibly powerful and influential speaker. He is the expert on persuasion and influence. Michael Burnoff. Michael Burnoff. So Michael Burnoff. Please welcome Michael Burnoff. Prepare to have your mind blown. Michael Burnoff. Michael Burnoff here. And this is a very, very special episode because it's all about you, it's all about your business, all about your life, your family, and everything that's important to you. You got a good friend and a great guest here today, Mr. Andre Norman, who is known for something super cool. How do you go from gang leader in a prison yard, like literally running one of the most dangerous prisons in the world, to Harvard Yard, to being a speaker that travels all over the world and speaks at prisons, speaks in big corporations, and helps people make their life better. It's a, an incredible episode about transitions in life and really making your life work the way you want it to. So if you ever felt stuck or you ever wondered why you do what you do, you're gonna get some answers today that are absolutely incredible. So Andre, I got a big tall order there. Let's, uh, let's make it happen, my friend. I'm super right. excited about uh, making this happen. So let's start at the beginning. So, the big thing of this, you have your normal stuff that you would talk about. You, you have the ambassador of hope. I, I want to talk about something a little different than that. And I want to talk about change. change. And a lot of times people hear your story about you know, how you went from the prison yard to Harvard, Harvard Yard. And that's a great story. Great I mean, it's story. very, very impressive. I love it. I want to talk deeper than that. And I deal a lot with people in communication where challenges start. I'd love to talk about a part probably you don't get into that much of how does a guy go from being a five-year-old kid or a four-year-old kid to winding up one day, you know, running a gang in prison? That's the part I want to talk about change okay. because I it isn't one little misstep, is it? Is it one little thing no, that screws it's never, up? It's, it's, it's never one thing. Never one thing. So, so that's the part I would love to talk about and I'd love to understand because I've known you a long time, but I've never, most people probably don't ask that question. It's normally like they don't ask that question. So. You're, you're three years old. Let's just give me context for this because I just want to have like a talk about this and then, then we'll do the okay. the actual stuff. But you're three years old. You're playing like all kids. I mean, did you play outside? I mean, what'd you At do? At three, you didn't go far. You didn't okay. house well, where, where were you growing up? My earliest memory that I can vividly remember as far as being a kid, we lived in one house yep. and me and my brothers all shared a room. It was me and my little brother shared a bed. My other brother had an older bed, oh, another bed. What's your age difference? We're one year apart. Okay, got it. So it's like it's a twin, like, practically. My mother had six kids in seven years. So it was... Busy. Six, five, four, skip three, no, seven, five, seven, six, five, skip four, three, two, one. Yep. So it was like, we're like right there, all of us. And my earliest memories in life was being in this, we lived in a, an apartment building, it was like six, six units, just like eating cereal, fighting with my, not fighting with my brother, just not getting along. He used to wet the bed a lot, stuff like that. I have very, very few memories. The thing that I really remember is the day we moved. Because the day we moved, I was sick. 
So I couldn't really help carry anything. I could, they put me in a car, I had this multicolored blanket quilt my grandmother probably made. And they put me in the backseat of the car and I was sick. We literally moved from 77 to 13 on the same street. It was like, wow. like a two minute drive, probably like a three minute walk. So we went from 77 Harvard Street to 13 Harvard Street. My father realized he had six kids. He was a hustler in the street. Somebody owed some money, some kind of backdoor deal. He took somebody's house and boom, while our house for the wife and kids. The day I remember is the day we moved. Then we moved to the new house. Again, the six of us, six kids, mom and dad. And it was just always drama. It was just always, all I remember in that house, all I remember is just drama. Whether it's my brother, my brother getting beaten from my father, whether it was my, me getting beaten, whether it was just somebody getting in trouble, my mother getting beaten. The whole, only thing I really remember from that house is chaos. So how does chaos turn into, this is the part I want to understand because we work, uh, you and I are both uh, at our own, in our own media and working to make the world a better place. Correct. And you, with, with, your, with your angle, I'm excited to talk about that. But what I know happens to people is people have mentors in life. Right. And I know you're a huge mentor in the prison system to help people um, that are incarcerated to straighten their life out. You're a mentor for people that are out and want to get, keep their life straight. You're a mentor right. for kids, you're a mentor for business owners. How does a mentor work, um, maybe a negative mentor, when we're younger? Because this is a big thing these days. A lot of right. us don't talk about this. And we talk, I mean, I have kids and you have a kid and they have mentors out there. Yeah. And so you had a mentor that taught that? you the Correct. wrong thing taught me three lessons. Yeah, and tell me about this, because this is the part I would love to stop people for, because it would be wonderful if like, we could be out of business, where literally everybody gets the right mentor to start Close with. prisons. Yeah, you, prisons are closed, world's <laughs> working great. If we could solve this, so how did you attach and attract your first mentor that sent you in this direction that you were blind that was a bad idea? I, I don't know if you've ever been asked that question. My first mentor would be my father. Okay. And my mother. Okay. And they showed me Three basic lessons. One, it's okay to hit people. Okay. Because if my mother can be hit, anybody can be hit. Wow. Two, I better protect myself. So your mother didn't show you it, she showed you by being hit. Yeah, she she stayed in there and she just kept getting hit over and over and over okay. again. It Give wasn't a beating, a one, take a beating. Give a beating, no, take no, a beating. No, no, she wasn't giving anything. My no, father, no, six, father six. was giving it. Oh, yeah. Mom was taking it. Mom's taking it. Okay. So just staying in that relationship for that many years allowed me to see that hitting people is okay. And I also taught me that feeling bad for people doesn't work. Got it. So I feel bad. The first time your mom gets beat, you cry because it's just chaotic. The second time, you cry again. And eventually, it's like, here they go again. It's, the emotion is gone. And it's more analytical because I've, I've cried out of this. I've been through this. It's not cool, but it, you become accustomed to it. Like if you're a Jets fan. You're just used to it. You're <laughs> if you're solid. If you're Atlanta, if you live in Georgia, your yep. team is going to lose. Yes. Period. Yes. You're just used to it. Yep. Somehow, some way, Alabama's going to beat you. So you were training yourself indirectly to lose the the, the moral game and the emotional game. And not not the moral the emotion. Emotional game. Emotion's okay. gone. Emotion's gone. I learned between I think it was like three, whatever, four and six, whatever it is. Going forward, that the, what I took from the beatings, aside from it's okay to hit people, is feelings don't work. So I just cross feelings off the board. Wow. Okay, so that was number one. Then Got the second it. thing, I started going to school, which was an escape from the house. 
that's eight hours a day I don't have to be in the house with these people and dealing with their madness. So then one day, riding home from school, kids stopped throwing rocks at a bus and calling us niggas. There was a busing crisis in Boston, had it all over the country, blacks going to school with whites, gonna make the world a better place. So they throw rocks at us. I went home to my dad, I said, hey dad, who are these people? Never met white people before like this. Um, why are they throwing rocks at me? What are these names? My dad just walked away, didn't explain anything to me. Come to find out, when my dad was a kid, he grew up in Virginia, same thing happened to him, but it was just the way to land at the time, Jim Crow. So people are throwing rocks at me. People are calling me names. People are tormenting me. And there's nobody coming to help me. The city is in agreement. The police are in agreement. The, the majority slash the whites are in agreement with this. Not every person, but enough of them that this is acceptable. This is acceptable behavior that for, for weeks on end, not one day, for weeks on end, we're getting rocks thrown at us. So I learned nobody's coming to help me. My wow. dad wasn't coming. My mom wasn't coming. I didn't know who the cops were, but they weren't coming. The city wasn't coming. There was nobody coming to help Andre get over this torment. I learned that I'm going to get on this bus, and they're going to throw rocks at me, and I just got to learn to deal with it. So meaning I'm going to protect myself because nobody else is coming. That was rule two. Protect yourself. Don't wait on anybody. Then the third rule was, at some point, dad and mom hit their wall, they're done, he moves out. I come home from school one day, dad's gone. No conversation, no family roundup, no nothing. He's just gone. Stuff packed, gone. And you're seven years old, six years old, all you, my whole life, he's been there. Every single day he's been there of seven years of my life. Now he's just gone. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know why. What did I do wrong? How did this go wrong? What's going on? Where's he at? When is he coming? Just gone. And nobody ever sat me down to this day and said, hey, me and your mama having problems, me and your dad, or dad's having this. Nothing. Gone. And I learned from that, I don't have to explain myself to anybody. Wow. So I got three basic rules. I can hit people. I'm going to protect myself. I have to explain any of my actions. Which is if you were a hiring firm for a criminal, a hiring That's firm him. for a gang leader, it's like, hey, what do we got out there? <laughs> uh, let me find a few things. Let me see your uh, resume, right? Here's the uh, resume. Can you hit people? All day. Um, do you feel remorse? Never. Okay, and uh, you're responsible for uh, yourself? Nope. Yeah. Okay. Run them over. Run I don't them over. Care. Perfect. Yeah. Job hired. So when opportunity presented itself, that was the best option. That's my takeaways. Okay. I'm sure there were better options, but again- This was your lens. This is my lens. So, so let's fast forward to, you, you, what I love what you say is that the, the thing in the, in the, in the like middle class white neighborhoods, we always say, you said like, little, what do you call it? Middle class white problems, yeah, does yeah, that make sense? Rich white people rich problems. Rich white people problems, you get the, you get the same, same thing. If you take a look at those same systems and they're watching YouTube, they're watching their friends online, they're watching people not care, they're watching TV, they have a bunch of people being bitchy or mean at school, all that kind of stuff. They don't have to have that as a dad. They could have that as a role model online, right. they could have as a mentor in life. So we have to be really careful on who we take on as a mentor in life. Correct. And you took on your dad because that's all you knew and that led you in a direction. I might have been better off with internet when I was in the sixth grade. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Who, who, he would have taken on some... Uh, I might have, who knows? Who, who, but um, definitely the influence around... The people that influence you matter. And the people don't have to be people you know. Most people I know who are in prison, they would tell you the story. I was a little kid. I walked down the street. I saw the drug dealer with the shiny car. I saw the pimp 
with the shiny car. I saw the stick-up kid with all the money in his pocket. I saw the gang member with the jewelry. Didn't know them. Never knew them, just saw them. Interesting. And that was enough to say, I have to get that. And that was the motivator to kickstart their criminal career or whatever the thing was. Very rarely would a person tell you, I spent time with gang member X and he taught me these things. So were you after uh, when you saw those people, because you saw those people in town, right? Right. And you were after that, no. the money, the quick money? No. What were you after? I, when I got to middle school, I realized we were poor. Okay. Kids made fun of me. I didn't have the cool clothes. I did free lunch. The whole nine yards. So, and girls. Girls matter. Okay. <laughs> girls don't like dusty boys. Nobody taught me hygiene. Nobody taught me a lot of stuff. So when I get to middle school, kids are cruel. They let it be known that I'm like an outcast. I don't like being an outcast. So to be accepted, I needed money. My mother didn't have it. My father wasn't around. So I started selling drugs to get the stuff to be cool. I wasn't trying to fit in any place other than in my grade. Got it. What kind of stuff made you cool back then? Um, members only jacket. Member, members only. But that's, that's identical to the Lamborghini later on, or the, or the Ferrari, right? Yeah, or the, but that, the, no, the difference is I never really said, hey, if the kids would have left me alone, I'd have stayed with my little two pairs of pants and one pair of shoes. Got it. I didn't walk down the street and say, hey, I want that jacket. I want that shirt. I only wanted it when what I had wasn't sufficient. So insecurity and wanting to fit in drove you to do things that even though morally overrode your morals. We didn't have morals. But in the sense, the, no. So those got knocked out of you? Those, I mean, in the protect yourself, you can hit okay, people. Okay, so those are, back, those are back to your rules for those life. Are, I got rules for life. Okay, so you didn't have, now deep down inside, was there ever, so, so those truly after watching your role models in life, literally like at a young age, that truly shaped who you are? Now let's go back to not showing up for Saturday to take me to the park. Okay. Let's show up to not getting the Christmas presents that you want. Yep. Let's show up to just being no, no food in the house. Let's show up to there's no heat in the house and it's winter time in the Northeast. Let's show up walking in the snow with tennis shoes on. So all these things reinforce that I don't matter. Got it. Reinforce that nobody's going to show up for me. So I, the beating stopped, but replaced the beatings was neglect. He just wasn't there. So I'm now being beat with neglect versus watching my mother be beat. Now, I'm taking the protect myself. There's nobody attacking me, but I don't have the things I need to survive. So I don't have to protect myself from somebody throwing rocks. I need to protect myself because I'm hungry. I got to feed myself now. And you're so, willing to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Then what happens is, no, I'm, I'm cool not having because in third, fourth, fifth grade, you don't know any better. Sixth grade, what happens is I explain to people. In elementary school, the oldest kid is, is 10. So what is a 10-year-old doing? In middle school, the oldest kid might be 15. What are 15-year-olds doing? Got it. So I, I did everything elementary school kids did, none of which was sell drugs, carry guns, or rob people. And I got this sixth grade, now I'm around kids who are 15. And they're doing those things, and I saw, oh, we can do that, because my friends in the school say, hey, my big brother's doing this, come on down to the park. So I went to the park, now I'm 11, around 13, 14-year-olds who are doing this stuff. So you're basically using in your life right now, and we're just going to fast forward real quick, fast the forward. same strategy that you use to become who it is you were. And then like, I mean, if I, if I were to basically say you had a mentor who had a set of rules and you had an environment. Correct. Based on that mentor, their rules, your environment, and your needs created a guy that eventually, when, when did you first get picked up? When did you first get arrested? First arrest was sixth grade. Okay. For what? I broke out every window in my middle school. Why not, right? No, one Everybody didn't leave one? No, that's what got me caught. Okay. There was one teacher, Mr. <laughs> Bevel Aqua, 
who I loved. You apologize right now? Okay. No, Mr. Bevilacqua, I didn't break okay. his window. Oh, you didn't break him. You liked him. I broke every window in the sixth What'd grade. What'd you like about him first? I don't, he was just nice to me. Okay. He, he was, was opposite he, of your dad. He was opposite of dad. He was a math teacher. I couldn't tell you anything but his name. It's more like they tell you. It's not what you say, but how'd you make me feel? Got it. I rem- to this day, if he walked by me, I wouldn't recognize him. I remember how he made me feel. And somehow in there, he just compelled to me, conveyed to me that he loved me and I was it's a good a business kid. lesson. Yeah. You make people feel. It's not what you say. It's how you make them nah, feel. I, years later. I'm, I'm 52 now. I'm talking yep. when I was 11. Wow. He you made, still feel I, it. I still know his name. Like what? He showed up. Take him to lunch. In an instant. Right, oh, that man. Maybe he'll listen to this. But baseline, um, yeah, he made, I broke every window in the sixth grade Got except arrested. for his. So I didn't touch his windows. I literally, they used to have like the metal grates on the window. Yep. So I stood outside with bricks and I throw them at the window to the grate would bend in. Then the window would break. <laughs> so I was out there for a while. So why, why are you breaking the one place you I, felt at home? Because you hated being at home. Right. And then you felt home at school with your friends. But school was where they tortured me. Ah. So I didn't okay. like school. Got it. You know they made me end up selling drugs. They made me feel bad about being poor. They made me feel bad about having free lunch. And somehow or another, Mr. So you Be- lashed out at the building. I lashed out at the building. Got it. Except for Mr. Bevilacqua's class. And that they said to them, when they came, they said, well, every window's broken except for this one. And that was the thing that got me caught. Because they, they figured out who's in his class. Now they can do, they can do it by reverse. Well, who likes Mr. Bevilacqua? Andre Norman. Andre Norman. Andre Norman. Mr. Say it again. Mr. Mr. Bevilacqua. Okay, so you get picked up for that uh, juvenile detention? No, that is, the police came to the school. They sat me down. They had a talk. And that was it. But because you had no remorse, you didn't feel the warning? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, next time, first big... Uh, next, first counseling session. I was yep. talking to a kid today. Yep. And white people generally send their kids to counseling and therapists and find out whatever they got problems with. My first therapist was in the sixth grade. I wrote an essay, The People I Hate the Most. And I wrote it, and I made it make sense. And when I turned it in, <laughs> Mr. McDonald, my sixth grade English teacher, <laughs> he went to the principal and said, I think we have a problem. This kid just wrote a letter or essay saying the people I hate the most, and it makes perfect sense. It's logical. Who were they? Probably my parents, probably, who do you know at that age? Family members, um, people I deem who let me down that I had expectations of. So you were crying for help? All day. Got it. Nobody heard the warning. The one teacher heard the warning, but nobody did anything about it. He didn't, he, he, turned, he turned the thing in. And where'd it go? Nowhere. I sat with a counselor for a couple hours, and they probably said, eh. Got it. These okay. are rich white kids' problems. He's not a rich white kid. Yeah, rich kid. Yeah, exactly. So you turn criminal by criminal by um, association. By, by, you, by need. By need as you get older. Um, when did you first go away for a while? My first arrest would be ninth grade. Okay. Okay. Ninth grade, I got arrested. guys are chasing girls in ninth grade. You're running from the law. Yeah. Freshman in high school. Totally off the rails. I was doing good for a minute, but I went off the rails, and I used to be really short. People don't believe this. I was like 5'1", weighed like a buck 30. Wow. And, but I'm, 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 I'm out in the street. So it's not how tall you are, it's how tall you stand is my saying. Long story short, girl comes around the corner, has a bunch of kids with her. She comes into the cafeteria where we're sitting. And she looks at me and says, hey, you, give me your chair. I'm like, what? Who are you? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and she like, for the most part, manhandles me and takes my chair. And all my friends started laughing at me. She became your, you became like your mom, and then you acted like your dad a second later. So she takes my chair. She sits with these kids. I'm like pissed off, like, who was this girl? Then when they got up to leave, I walked behind her. 
And I did the, like the kid thing. I'd step on the back of her shoe and like make her shoe go flat. So she fixed Sounds it. funny, but it's, it's not funny now. No, no. It was just like being annoying. Yeah. So like, it's like the little brother thing yeah. in my mind. The flick, flick. Yeah, yeah, but I'm stepping on the back of her shoe. Yeah. I did it once, did it twice. Third time I did it, we're in the hallway now. And she turns around and she punches me dead in the face. Yeah, I did the same thing. I wow. froze. And she just started teeing off on me. She's like, bang, bang. She's just throwing blows like crazy. Now before, before kickboxing was big. She's tough. She was just whipping my butt. Yep. There's no other way to put it. She's just punching me. And I'm this, I went to, like, you say where your face went? And yep. it's like, I'm just like getting punched in the face routinely. And I'm backing up. And I heard somebody say, Andre's getting beat up. I said, hold up. I'm Andre. <laughs> I snapped out of it. I hit her with uppercut, sidestepped, I hit her with two more shots, and she fell. She was a senior class president. She had a group of international exchange students with her. And so she walked into the cafeteria. She figured I knew who she was, senior class president for the school. I'm a freshman. I don't know who you are. And I knew that she had exchange students with her. She wasn't trying to be rude. She was trying to show our guests a good time. And I was a freshman. Kick your chair in, freshman. I'm the senior class president. I didn't get that. So I ended up beating her up. I got arrested for assault and battery and taken to court. Wow. They arrested me, put me in handcuffs, took me to the police station. Where'd that wind you up? Terrified. Okay. <laughs> Never been Who in the police station. Where were terrified the most? The police station, prison, your parents, which one? When it, first time I got arrested, they put, they, they, they tricked me. The guy kept talking to me until the police came. Okay. <laughs> the, oh, the to get you to talk. The principal. Yeah. No, no, he, he just kept, he wanted me not to run. Got it. Because he had no way to hold yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So he just kept, oh, it's going to be okay. All right, all right, Mr. Miller, I remember you. Yeah. <laughs> now you remember these names? Yeah. Where were you going to run, though? They were going to find you anyway. I don't know. I, was, I came back to school the next yeah. day. So I go to the police station. They put me in the staff the drunk tanks. I was a juvenile, 13. They stick me in the drunk tank. And I'm in there. I'm like, they're sitting in a room by myself. But the funny thing is, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know what I did? Months on end in my room on punishment. For who knows what infraction. This infraction, under you're in punishment for a week. You're in punishment. I stayed in my room forever. So you built your own prison. So when they stuck me in that cell, I didn't feel out of place. I didn't feel like, wow, I didn't like being in jail, but it wasn't like a foreign concept. Like, oh my God, where am I? I spent so many months locked in my own bedroom on punishment. It was like, whatever. So you were comfortable with something that should have been uncomfortable. Correct. That's amazing. I'm, I'm, it's interesting how you tell the story because the same issues that people have creating change in their life are the way that you changed and became this person before you became who you are today. Yeah. So basically you got comfortable being uncomfortable for a long period of time. So with something that should have made you super uncomfortable, you were good at. When they, and what scared me at that moment, a drunk guy came in. He's drunk. He's fighting the cops. They're beating him up. He's like, oh, one of me. No, no, he's a grown man. Oh, he's a you're, grown you're man. Still a little kid. And, no, I'm a little kid. I'm 13. So he's out there, ah, drunk, fighting with the police, whatever it was. He probably came in like a half hour after me. They said, put him in a drunk tank. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm in a drunk tank. <laughs> so they about to throw him in there with me. I'm, now I'm paranoid. Like, oh my God, they about to throw this. Here comes my dad. And somebody says, hold up, there's a kid in there. So they take me out of the tank. There's two tanks, and there's a glass window in between. They take me out of the front tank. They walk me around. They put me in the other tank, tank two. But there's a giant plexiglass window between them. They put me in the second tank, and they put him in the first tank. And he's in there kicking the door, screaming, but it's dark because there's no lights. 
and he's pounding on the glass, I'm literally, if this is the window, he's here, and there's a window between us. He's in this tank, door that way, my door's this way, this is a window between us. I'm on the floor, pressed up against the wall, praying to God he doesn't see me. And I'm thinking he's gonna bust through the window and kill me. Wow. I'm literally on the floor, pressed up against the wall, paranoid this man's gonna bust through. And then somewhere in that, the guy, cop opens the door, he says, if you don't sit down, I'm gonna bust your head open. To the other guy. To the other guy. Yep. And he realized it was serious, and he sat out. I'm like, whoa, you went from a raging lunatic, psychopath, to one word, shut you down. That's influence, that's power. I was like, whoa, but I was still scared. And when they finally called me, I ran up out of there, but that was a lesson I took out of there that this raving psychopath ready to destroy the world had me scared to death. One word from the right guy shut him all the way down. So another, another lesson down the road, you then saw the cops use technique, technique to actually control somebody. Yeah. So this is wonderful. This is like the building of Andre the gang leader. Building Andre yeah. the gang leader. Yeah, I mean, literally. So you got your mentor, your dad. Now you're looking at the cops going, what are they doing? Whatever he said, it was like a one-liner. And he had the authority to just go boom. And that guy looked at him, sobered up in 0.2 seconds, sat down, and never made another noise. You wanted that power. That was the first time I saw somebody like really wield a person from one status, status to another instantly. This is interesting because I've known you a long time and then just to watch you, I'm putting this whole thing together almost like a timeline for life. So, so you got year in, year out, going back to school, prison, school, prison, school, Now I'm back school, and forth. Juvie. juvie. Now I'm arrested. They put me on probation. Okay. They gave me, um, like, I think it was like two years probation, a bunch of community service hours. So you eventually get arrested. I eventually um, commit one crime too many. We don't, that story, yeah. we'll get yeah. past that. My, my, my mom used to come to court, and they said to my mom, story's great, entourage is great, the kid ain't listening, you ain't effective, he's going to jail. You're in jail? I'm in jail. How do we, and, and you're in, where you at? My first adult prison was a place called Salem County Jail. It's one of the oldest jails. Carolina? No, Massachusetts. Oh, Massachusetts. Where they used yeah. to hang the witches. Literally, the jail I was in is where they hung witches. That is That's crazy. how old this place is. So you're in jail. How long did you stay there? I stayed there, I think, six months. Okay, and then where'd you go after that? Went home. Yep, then went I, back. I got bailed out, and I went back about six months later. Okay. I went how back. long? Tell me you're in and out, because what I really want to figure out, because I get how you got in, now I want to figure out how you get out, because you created, you had one life, you created another life, and then you created the life you have today. And okay. I think the biggest thing for everybody to understand is the transition period. Because I get your first transition. Um, your last stint, where you're the most vicious, place you where were you at towards towards the end when you were still Andre the, the, the gang invincible. leader the, the, invincible, the invincible, invincible. Yeah, invincible I'm gonna stay in here forever um I run this damn place where were you at MCI Norfolk okay tough place big place it was the place it was it wasn't a tough place it was actually like a cool out place no 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 let me take that back I was in MCI Norfolk but I was in segregation I'm thinking okay. like the population I was there twice so I went to I tried to kill a couple people it's so funny how you say that. You say, you say, I, I, I love you, and, I, and you come over for Father's Day and hang out with the kids, and you, and you, throw, you throw Maya up in the air, and you just said that. There's still, there's still a side of you that, that I know you don't, that's not your thing anymore, but no. it's still a side of you that, like, you, you said it in the context if you would have said it back then, like, it was like, oh, I'm going to go get bread today. So I resolve stuff yeah. in prison. Yeah. If there's a problem, you resolve it by hurting people. So I'm in segregation for trying to kill a couple people. And while I was in there, there's like two and a half years I'm in solitary. 
and right before I come out of solitary, they had, they do a step-down program. The first year in this place, second year in this place, 24-hour lockup for the most part. Right before you come back out of lockup, they place you in like a modified lockup where you get maybe two hours a day out of yourself. Wow. And with other people, not just, we used to be in dog kennels. If you ever see a, a dog kennel, that's where you did recreation. And for two years, I would come out for recreation five hours a week, and they place you in a dog kennel. Like a little, how big is that thing? A little bit wider than this table, probably twice the size of this table, and twice as long, and has a gate at the front like a dog kennel. Can you do a push-up? Yeah, you can do push-ups. That's about it? Yeah, you can walk up and down. Okay. It's, it's literally a dog kennel. There's no way to call it. If you went to a dog kennel, you went to our rec yard, it's exactly the same. Wow. So that was our rec for two years. And six months before you get out, they put you in a place where there's no dog kennels. It's just eight and ten guys out on the yard together. It's modified. You got a little modified kitchen that you can go eat. You got a modified rec yard because they want to get you ready to go back around people again. Because in six months, I'm going to be back in general population, no dog kennels. So to keep somebody two, three, four years with no human contact and just throw them in population doesn't work. They've proven that doesn't work. How'd you transition? From that? Yeah, I want to figure this out. So you're, you're in a place, you're in like that. Was that the last thing you did? I only did one, one bid, technically. And I got was a, that? I got arrested as a, as a juvenile. I went back and forth to juvie. I, got, I committed adult crimes. They arrest you. They give you a bail. I stayed in jail for six months. I make bail. Then I was out for like six, eight months. Then they revoked my bills. I caught more cases, and I never came out again. God, for how long? 14 years. Okay, I want to talk about the moment. And I understand the moment. Everything was good until you got your bike, five years old, whatever. You've caught on, mom, dad beats mom. Total change of representation. The moment you realized, didn't happen immediately, but what was the moment that you realized you needed to change shit? Like, what's the moment? Like, because I mean, literally, you got this thing dialed in. How old are you at this point? At that point, still in jail. I'm still in jail. That would have been 91, so that's 21. 21 years 24, old. excuse me. 24 years old. What was the day that you realized that you can change things, you're going to change things, you, you've got, you want to change stuff? The real change or the beginning of change? There's a difference. I'll tell you the beginning of change. Because anybody watching this has changes they want to make in their life. I work with a lot of business owners, work with a lot of people, and the same transitions. Most people are in their own prison anyways. They may not physically be locked up with guards, they may, but they're in their own prison of life. The prison in the relationship, that's shit. The prison in their health, that's not where they want it to be. Everyone's in a prison. I want to say this box. to the folks. There's two changes. There's the, the concept of change, where I believe this is a good idea. Possibility? I, yeah, it's a possibility. I can do it. It's like, why am I losing weight? I can do this. And I want to lose weight because I'm so many pounds overweight. I go get the fancy diet. I get the right gym yep. membership. And it's the concept of change. Yep. You're doing the right things, but you really haven't bought, you haven't bought in. So you know it's not going to sustain. Yep. So initially, when I had my moment of epiphany that I don't want to die in jail and be like, I'm the, it was like kind of the Wizard of Oz. You're in your 20s. I'm in 24. Yep. And I'm set to be here for like forever and ever. That's my goal. That was my goal. And I had my, I call it my Wizard of Oz moment where I had a chance to pull the curtain back because I'm about to be, I'm the number three gang member in the state. I'm about to be number one if I stab these guys. But I had like, you pull the curtain, you see the Wizard of Oz, the guy's back there pulling levers and hitting buttons and it's nothing. I'm like, I'm killing myself to be that? He's like, come on man, jump in the chair. You can pull the levers and I can get out of here. I didn't want to be the Wizard of Oz because it was fake. So how did you, how much time did you do after that? Eight more years. Okay, so in the next eight years, you decided to change your life. Yes, sir. What I really want to understand, and this is the biggest part for you and the big breakthrough for you, for us, for everyone here watching, listening to this, is that you decided to change your life that day. 
how did the process work? Because you have people to deal with, you have you have a reputation to keep up, you have to survive. Because it's like, I mean, even just to go home and tell your wife I'm leaving a job and you have to like, like explain that over barbecues, that's hard enough. You're right. in prison with these people expecting you to be badass. Expect me to be people, Andre. Andre the king of the king of shit here in the here in Andre. this jail. Yeah. Um, how did you handle those next eight years? Reputation, all that stuff. What did you do? How did you shift that transition? Because if I can understand that, anyone getting anything they want in this world is possible. In prison, to the people in that life, they've committed their lives. I committed, I'm 24 years committed to this. This isn't something I picked up yesterday. I'm committed and I brainwashed myself that this is the place to be and I'm gonna be the king of this place. Those guys who play hockey with you have committed themselves to hockey for life and they're gonna be the king of that ring. So this is the same like with a business owner just suffering along. Like, I'm gonna be the best sufferer there is. I'm gonna be I'm the gonna best. Be the, I'm gonna be the worst. Watch me suffer. Watch me suffer. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna fight myself. I'm gonna make this business work. I will go bankrupt trying. Nobody can stop Versus this. like, dude, step back a minute. Look at it from a different perspective. So you basically looked at something from a different perspective. So you said, I don't want that anymore. Tell me the short version of those next Eight years, because the rest of this they can get in your book, right? Yeah. Okay, a little bit of this in your book? A little bit of this in the okay, book. Okay, so the transition period? Some. Okay, so maybe give us a little, little more of it then. Okay. So um, before you become the Ambassador Hope, I want to talk about... Um, My first step was plan. First thought, okay, I'm, I'm a planner. I had a goal. I have to get a goal. I just lost my first goal, now I got to get another goal. And my goal, like when I was in sixth grade, I wanted cool clothes. Yep. When I was in the ninth grade, I wanted to be accepted. And you just keep going. Now I'm in prison, I want to be the boss. I want to be the boss. Now, I want to be free was my first goal. And I realized free doesn't work. Free is a trick. Whites, blacks, Spanish, Asians, kitchen workers, chess players, basketball players, all went home and came back. Sure. Free didn't work. So I scratched that off my list. Sometimes people go with the, what they think is makes sense. Had I gone for free, it wouldn't have worked. Because to get free, I didn't have to do nothing but wait. So I said, I want to be successful. Mm. It's a different context, different, different language. Context. Different I said, language. I, I, free doesn't what work. What did successful mean to you back then? Success meant just, I wouldn't go to, successful meant Rich, for the most part. Okay. So I'm gonna be successful slash rich. Um, okay. So, so I set the plan yep. to be successful. And I, and I did do success meant going to college. Where do successful people come from? They come from college. So I know where poor people come from. I know where prisoners come from. How do you go to college and prison? You don't. You just, that's just a goal. I never even thought about going to college in my life. I just realized if I want to be successful, I need to go to college. Period. Did that's, you ever wind up going? Yeah. How'd you get to college? I took my GED first. Okay. Got that done. In prison. In prison. Then I started taking anger management classes because I had a slight anger management problem. <gasps> no shit. No, just slight. Then I got past that. Then I enrolled in college. I, they had um, Pell Grants that you could get in prison. This is back in 92. And I took a Western Civ class and a math class. And I got B's in both. And then some giant genius someplace decided prisoners shouldn't be allowed to go to college for free. And they pulled Pell Grants. So college was over. So I started so working. So one thing that could help people, we're going to take away. <laughs> yeah, we're going to take it away. Okay. You want to help people. Yeah. yeah. So I went to the law library, taught myself the law, went to anger management. I worked super hard every day for eight years, 20 hours a day for eight years, I tell people. Working on my case, working on my attitude, working on patience. Patience was a big one. Just working on understanding. I met mentors along the way. That's why I met my rabbi. Nice. Met my rabbi. And the thing that was- Everybody needs a good rabbi. Everybody needs a good rabbi. When What's I met, something the rabbi told you? He not told me, but taught me. What did he teach you? That's he a big me, distinction there. Yeah. He taught me taught forgiveness. Told. He taught me accountability. He taught me servanthood. 
He taught me um, helping others. He taught, he taught me how to be human. Nobody ever taught me that. human. I don't think anybody really actually learns that. Yes, you do. You better. There's some people who learn how to be inhuman. Yep. So you, you can go down a list of people in history who are not, who are like evil. So I was taught to be evil or inhuman or dis dehumanize people. People didn't matter. So that's why I could stab people with no remorse. So your dad never told you what to do. He just taught you yeah. his actions. Okay. So the rabbi taught me all the components of being human. What's the first thing you did on the first day out? My first day out, I left the prison, went to the parole office, left the parole office, went to a youth center. 90 minutes after I got out, I went and talked to some kids in juvenile detention. What did you talk about? Emotional wellness. I told them they were going in prison not because they were black, not because they smoked weed, not because they carried guns. You were going to prison because you didn't know how to manage your emotions. You didn't know how to manage to damage the trauma, and you act out. You self-medicate, and at 12, it's cute. At 15, it's criminal. So you're telling me, did you plan that? When I get out, I'm going to go do that? Because no. most people, when they go out, I see all the movies. No. We get out, take me to the bar, take me to the strip club, take me to um, the casino, take me to my favorite restaurant. You went straight to it. You went straight Integrity. to Integrity. Integrity. I'm in jail. I am turned my life around. I started involving myself in programs in prison. One of the programs I was in was called Second Thoughts. And a guy named Tom Coons let me in the program. He taught me how to talk to kids. There's a whole training they take you through, and they teach you how to talk to kids, open-ended questions. And there's like six kids come up, and there's six adult prisoners. They're coming from juvenile detention. They bring them from juvie in handcuffs to the state prison, and six kids, six of us, and maybe you as a volunteer, we sit in a room, and we have this script we go through. Week one is family. Week two is this. Week three, week four, we go through six weeks. They're us removed by like four years. I did this program for like two years. So I'm seeing rotation after rotation of kids. I'm really good at it. I get really, really good at it. And I get my word that I'm going home. And the kids said to me one week at the program, I said, hey, y'all, I'm going home soon. They're like, Dre, that's great. We're happy for you. Will you come see us? I said, what are you talking about? They said, everybody in this program who gets out says that they'll come see us when they get out, but they never do. Will you come see us? I said, yeah, the program's right in the hood, two blocks from the house. Yeah, I'll come see you. So I promised these kids I would come see them. Get out of prison, parole office, I leave, I go, to, I go to the center. I've been dealing with the center for two and a half years now. So I know all the staff. I, knew, I walked in, the kids loved it. But the thing I loved about it, the biggest thing, the world is scary. 14 years away from society, you come back, cars are talking, ATM's talking, white people are jogging through the hood. It's just crazy. It's like all kinds of stuff has changed. There's new buildings. Brothers are running banks. You know what I mean? Yeah, all kinds of brothers are running banks. We can, it's, it's crazy. So when I walked into that youth center, you know what I felt? Comfortable. It was a locked facility. There was nothing moving. There was nothing talking out of a kind speaker. Of your people, you could mentor those kids because they're similar to what, you. Know something? What, even about the pe what about the kids? I felt comfortable. In prison, I knew what to expect. This is a locked facility. Everything in here is systematic and there's a flow to it. When I go out into the world and cars are beeping and running and people are staring at you and people are racing places, you don't matter, you just feel uncomfortable. So do you think people, um, it's a good psychology question, pick ways to lock themselves into a life they don't want to be in because it's more comfortable for them, yeah. no different than the prison, that like literally people will 
psychologically they will lock themselves in. Prison themselves in a life they either want or don't want, or was good at some point because they know the flow of it. Versus, I walked out of a maximum security prison where I hated being. The place I felt most comfortable was sitting in a juvenile maximum security prison. So I would get up every day and go to the juvie center and volunteer for six hours. Just so you could feel comfortable. So I can feel comfortable. But you're doing something good. But, yeah, but the but main reason I went, comfortable. I felt com- that was my six hours of decompression. So this is people in life, they'll seek out, I've noticed this, I mean, they, they seek out ways to feel comfortable. And the majority of the ways to be comfortable is to do what they're doing that isn't working. How do you use this experience of what you've been through to heal and help? I've seen it firsthand in my own life with our family friends that you've healed and you've helped them with intervention work. I've seen the work that you do in the prisons. It's absolutely incredible. When, would, when was the big transition where this turned into a lifestyle for you? Because I mean, your, your, your lifestyle now is like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, like if you, you help somebody, get them on the phone. You, you just you just literally like people are booking you to speak. You're speaking for entrepreneurs. So talk to me. What is your daily life like today? What is your weekly, daily, monthly like? What do you do? You know. Funny enough, you said, "Well, how, how did I get to this point? When? Yep. Did, what does my day look like?" Yep. Let me go back to 1992. Yep. I'm still in prison. I'm in general population. I've turned my life around somewhat, and I'm working on it. And I have probably like 1,400 guys in the prison with me who still look up to me yep. in some regard. And they see even though, me. Even though you got a rabbi? Even though you, you're this reading is books? Before the rabbi. Okay, I got this it. Because you ain't that cool, you got a rabbi and you're reading books. No, no. See, a, I, had, I had some guys challenge me on that. Okay. One time I'm going to programs every day. I'm like obsessed with programs. I'm studying, studying, studying programs, programs, counseling, mental health counseling, a.k.a. go to mental health counseling. I'm going to everything that ain't nailed down. I'm in AA learning um, how to, even though I don't drink. I'm in NA, even though I don't get high. Anything self-help, I'm attacking it, 100%. 100%. And the guy stopped me one day. It was like four of the guys. They said, Dre, man, what's up with you in this program building? I said, I got problems. They said, dude, you're the smartest guy in the prison. I mean, I literally was deemed the smartest guy and one of the toughest guys in prison. They said, you figure out stuff in point two seconds. No, you don't. I said, you ain't got no problems. I said, dude. I, my, me and my father, our relationship is horrible. It's drove me crazy. Got me doing all this crazy stuff. I'm trying to fix that so I can get my life together. They said, dude, you don't have problems. You're the boss. You run stuff. Why? You, what's really going on in that building? And I felt like he was trying to call me out. Like he was going like, to leverage up on me like Dre ain't been active in a while. This is my little underhand way of trying to get at him. So I said, let me explain something to you. I'm going to counseling tomorrow. And I got two options. One, I can go to counseling. And I can talk about me and my dad's relationship and how it's actually derailed my life. Or two, I can go to the unit, get my knife, come back, stab you in the face. I go to counseling them all and talk about how this guy got in my way of me trying to talk about my dad. You pick it. I gave him that look like, dude, I ain't forgot how to hurt people. Don't get this twisted. He looked at me and he, I gave him that look like, listen, you can die today. You can die right here, right now. And he was like, yo, Dre, that's messed up what your dad did. You need to go get that fixed. <laughs> I was like, you sure? You sure? Because people are going to try you. People are going to try you. you know I'm saying people are going to try you. I see, I see this all the time, even in our events, where husbands and wives, I get it all the time. They're like, they try to fight with the other person. They want, they want everything they can to keep people in who they are. Right. Their identity. His thing was just. He was, was checking you out. He was checking me. Can I, can I, can I pull up on Dre now? Because yep. it was a time you didn't pull up on Dre. He would have never had even the inclination to even say anything about who I am, where I'm going, or what I'm doing. It would have been like, because he'd have got stabbed right then and there. He'd have been three sentences, three words in and got stabbed. It wouldn't even have been like completed sentence. 
They completed the sentence would have been like, yo, somebody pick him up for the CO's right. time. But I wasn't carrying a knife for me. I got to go get it. There was a time I'd have to go get it. <laughs> I just had it. And that was it. But my life today, aside from that guy, mirrors 1992, 93, 94, when I was still in prison, and I was surrounded by 13, 14, 1,500 people with immense trauma. And they saw me doing the right thing or trying to do the right thing. And they saw, wait a minute, Dre's figuring this thing out. So they would slide up on me and ask me questions. Slide up on me, yo, what do you think about this OG? What do you think about that OG? I started you counseling. You became like a Yoda. I became, I was already the boss. Yep. I became a therapist in 91. When I changed my life, I became a therapist for the prison system. They needed it. And it was no short of people. So I'm talking about 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I got 1,500 guys with immense trauma. There was nobody able to ask questions before because me and my predecessors weren't into answering questions. It was prison commerce. It was us taking out our own trauma on everybody else in the name of making money in jail or dominating people in jail, whatever you want to call it. So now I'm helping people. I have the space that I can give legitimate answers and you can go act them out. If some clown told you, hey man, going to school is cool, it'll help you better your life, when you walk to the school building and the gang challenges you, who's that? Oh, Dre said I should go to school. You can't challenge that. Oh, Dre said I should go to counseling. And that's what you're doing now. That's what I started doing in 92. And you're still doing it now. I'm still doing it now. So you're putting the thoughts in people's heads because you've been where they're at. And, and you've been so. in the worst places that most people have ever could be in their lives. And then you give people advice. You give them the strength to walk into that place, do right. that thing, um, something they might have been avoiding for years. I'm dealing with guys who are 22, 25, 35, 50, who've been, who knows what, traumatizing their lives. They've been carrying it to the point of being locked in a prison, locked away from society. You see people in society with issues. I'm talking about, I got people in maximum security prison doing 200 years, that's issues. Wow. And I gotta take that guy and convince him to go to counseling. So now you give me a 15 year old kid with rich parents living in the house, convincing him is easy. I'm used to dealing with Johnny, who watched his mother be beat, watched his sister be beat, watched his cousin get killed, be hungry for his whole life, be traumatized. So I gotta convince this guy to go to counseling who's developed a relationship and identity that's so far removed from help. When you give me a 14-year-old kid who's depressed, suicidal, strung out, it's not even fair. People watching this right now, um, I had a chance, I got a chance to be, we were in California together. You, you oh, go yeah. from a prison to uh, the fanciest hotel in Laguna oh, Beach, was, right? That was- that Shout was, out to Roland. Uh, what's that? Yeah, shout out to War Roland. Room. Yeah, oh, no, was, no, hold on, no, hold on. How about I got the first standing ovation in War Room? Yeah, so I mean, you got a bunch <laughs> of business owners that literally- Refused to clap Refused to like clap, turn on their computers, and you got them crying, thinking about their kids, realizing why they're doing what they're doing. It was incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, literally, you took, a, you humanized a group of business owners that are extremely human, but yeah. they just forgot about why they're doing what they're doing. There was that context all the way to you going down to a shelter, helping kids in between. How does somebody get help? Like, how does your company, your organization, serve and help people? Like, if, if, if people watching this are like, hey, listen, I, I got, whether it's my kid, I'm, I'm having trouble with my kids, trouble with myself, how does somebody get help from your organization? And that's what I need to do better at. Yep. So, well, let's figure it out right now. I'm gonna help you figure it out. We're gonna do it together right now. Okay. We're gonna market it together to everybody watching. Okay, I have to create a menu. Okay, well, let's make it. I need a menu of what people can buy from me okay. or get from me. Yep. Right now, it's like you Speaking call on- Speaking engagement. Speaking engagements. 
If someone calls for a speaking engagement, and this has been quoted, and I've seen it myself, one of the greatest speakers in the world for an organization, whether it's EO, whether it's an entrepreneur organization, whether it's a business, you spoke, where have you spoken at? I've spoken at EO, I've spoken at YPO, I've spoken at GLC, London Business School, Deutsche Bank, Danning Food, Jones Construction, British Petroleum, um, large corporations, large corporations, lots of small corporations, business owners. What, yeah. what, what does that bring? So somebody brings you in, what happens? They bring me thirty-second version. What is that thirty minutes to an hour speech do for them? It helps them realize that they can do more and they be more appreciative and appreciate their family, appreciate their business, appreciate the opportunities. And where I'm at right now, the same struggle I have is I help them understand the struggle I'm struggling with. That they can do more, whether it's in their family life, in their community, or in their business, or for their employees. It's just it's my struggle. And I help them understand my struggle that I can do more and they can do more. So as they become more effective and they become more efficiency, efficiency with efficiency. themselves, it affects economically a company. Oh yeah, the so company menu, does menu item number one. If my menu go, item, go into a company, talk for a bit, humanize what's going on, help people feel real, and also realize what's really important to them. They start living the way they want to live. They will be more effective at work. If people are happy at home and they're happy with themselves, they're gonna be happier at work. Fantastic. If I, if my, that was the transition you made. You became happy with yourself while you were in prison. That was your transition. Correct. So if a company wants to transition the way you transition to get out of the box it's in, to get out of the prison it's in, companies are in prisons. They're in the $100 million a year prison. Yeah. And they can't want to get to $200 million. They want to become the next Apple, but they're in a prison and they need to learn how to go through a transition, which you've mastered. See, the thing that's a thing for you, the transition. That's a, yeah. that's a You've mastered the transition, brother. Steve Jobs kicked the doors down. Yep. And he had a team. Yep. And he just kicked doors down. He didn't care what you thought about him. He didn't care what you said about him. He didn't care your philosophy on that won't work. So I get that, oh, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. You can't do that. You can't go there. Why not? Why can't I? Why, why can't I? People in this world right now want genuine. All the instantaneous stuff that you can get on this phone, you can go to China, to Bangladesh, and, and who knows, many other places in 0.2 seconds. There's not a country in the world I can't go to in 0.2 seconds and get some kind of rendition of somebody else's view. People don't want the, the commercial, they want real. I mean, the phony, the, the, the dressed up, the make-believe, the look the part, that's out. Now they want real. Tell Be me about it. your book. My book. The first book, second book, or third book. You tell me about this book. The first book, Ambassador of Hope. Um, What's that? What is that? I get that book. What does that book do for me? You pick that book up, you read that book, and it's gonna help you appreciate your kids. It's going to help you appreciate your opportunities in the community. It's going to help you appreciate your business. Good prison stories in there? Great prison stories. Okay, good. Because I'm sure people watch, you're watching this, you like these prison stories? No, no. Good. No, no. The, it opens with a prison story. Oh, okay. The whole thing is in like prison. Give a prison, tease, prison. give a tease, give a tease. Okay. Just like a little tease. I like, can stop it. Like, like literally, this is business okay. right now. I'm, you see what I'm saying? I'm sitting in my cell. I'm like the boss, third boss in the state. I'm number one. I'm running this prison. I'm at one prison. I'm the boss of the prison. The way it works, it's like president, vice president, secretary of state. So if the, sec if the vice president, the president aren't around, Secretary of State's the boss. So if we're not in the same building, I'm the boss of the prison. Because number one and number two are someplace else. So I'm here, so I'm the boss of this prison, nobody above me. I'm in my cell Saturday, I'm hungry. So I get up, go down to the desk, get a CEO a nod, he opens the gate. Walk down the hallway, get a hallway sergeant a nod, he opens the gate. Two more gates, I get the central control, it's like a cement box with glass and bars. They got all the computers in there to control all the doors and all the rest of that stuff. Get a guy nod, he opens the gate to the kitchen way. There's a pathway that goes right in front of the control, goes straight down to the kitchen. Now, 
if you don't work in the work in the kitchen, they have to clear you, do background checks, make sure you're not a gang member, and you're not going to steal the spices and the knives, all that type of stuff. So it's like a screen prison st- guys that work back there. I'm not on that list. I don't work in the kitchen. I'm the last person they want in the kitchen, technically. But he buzzed the door. I go through the gate. I get to the end. I, there's a big steel door. Pound on the door. The guy hits the slot. He sees it's me. Then he opens the last door. I walk into the kitchen. I say, yo, make me a hamburger. Yo, make me something to drink. I'm sitting and chilling. I'm just waiting for him to finish. They're like, oh, boss is here to clean the grill off. They're going to work. This guy walks up on me. He's like, hey, you're not dressed properly. Because all the guys in the kitchen went white. I got jeans on. He's like, hey, you're not dressed properly. What are you doing in my kitchen? And he's giving me this, the business. I'm like, who are you? I'm the food service administrator. I just started. I run this kitchen. I used to run this restaurant and that restaurant. I got this degree and that degree. He's like, who are you? I said, I said I'm said, i frustrated now. Because this guy's yelling at me. There was a song out called um, The Regulator by Warren yeah, G. Yeah, Nato. It was Regulators. That, Regulators. Mount up. Mount up. Mount up. Yeah. So he said... Who are you? I said, I'm the regulator. He said, well, what do you regulate? I said, if you go home or not. And I didn't say anything. Just paused. The pregnant pause for you speakers. It was the ultimate pregnant you became, pause. You became, you became the captain at that moment. You used power like, of language. Yeah. I was like, if you go home or not. And he, he heard it. And it's, he was waiting for me to say something to break the chain. But I just I let, him th- let him sit on it. And he's like, yeah, if you physically go home or not. I didn't say it again. Then he realized I was talking. I said, listen, I don't know why you're out here yelling at me because you're not built like that. And I came through five locked doors to get here. Everybody in this kitchen is doing exactly what I tell them to do, including your staff. You don't want to see them have a problem with this. And there was some trays in the corner. The guys in segregation, solitary, they feed them on trays, they take them to the unit, and they feed them in the cells. And I said, you see them trades? They're going to segregation. If I kill you right now, you got a wife, you got a kid, they won't see you ever again. I don't have a wife, I don't have a kid. They're going to take me to segregation, and I'll sit in segregation maybe five, six, seven years, depending, for killing you. At the end of five or six years, my segregation time will be up, and I'll come back out here, and I'll walk back down that same hallway. And I walk back into that same kitchen door, and I stand in the same spot, and I tell them probably be them same two dudes on the grill still, because they're doing life. I'm going to tell them to make me a hamburger. And they're going to do it. So the question really is, do I get my hamburger today, or do I get it in eight years? I'm not going to tell you his decision. Oh, oh man, that's, that's good. <laughs> so um, how does everybody that's get older? That, that's the opening to the book. That's the first story. How does everybody get older? you? It's simple. You just go to my website, AndreNorman.com. So let me ask you this, do a little couple recaps real quick um, as we're finishing up. Um, advice you have for parents, because I know you're really big about stopping the problems before they get started. Advice you have for parents to help out, communicate, and eliminate their child, either heading your direction or any direction they, they don't want to go. Because their kids are going to wind up where they're going to wind up. But what is any advice you have to parents? Because you realize the power of the mentors, the power of the rules, the power of taught versus uh, told, which is really interesting what you taught me here today. Any advice uh, you have parents? First, two things. I get two things for parents. One, get your shame out of the way. It's not about you. I've seen so many parents let their kids go off the cliff because they didn't want to be embarrassed that their kids were going off the cliff. I had a situation where I called a guy because his son was in, he's out in the streets, he's, he's going off the edge. 
I well, called. You don't want to talk about that. You don't I called the dad. I said, "Listen, I, some, your friend gave me your name. He said your son's out in the streets using heroin. It's all bad. I'll come to your city Saturday. It was Thursday, and I'll help you find your kid, get him off drugs, get him in treatment." And the father's a rich business guy, and he's saying to himself, "This black guy that I don't know, he's a gang member. My son's not a gang member. He he had all these things that he came up in his mind of why this won't work." And he kept trying to push it back, push it back, push it. I said, dude, I live on the East Coast. If we don't do this today, I'm going to have to fly from the East Coast back out here next week. I'm here now. Let's let me come over on Saturday. We'll do it. And it didn't fit in any of his boxes. So he said, let's do it next week. And he insisted. This is three or four phone calls back and forth. I said, okay. I was going to fly from the East Coast six hours to, to the West Coast. I got a call on Monday from the guy that first introduced me to him. The kid OD. Next week never came. Shame. The shame was, the, I would have found that kid, and I'd have got him in the treatment because that's what I do. So the father's issue got in the way of me helping the son's issue. Now if I'd have just told the dad I'm charging fifteen grand, I need to stay at the Bel- Belmore Hilton, and I need this, this, he could have understood that. Yep. He'd have checked the box yep. and said, "Cool." I was coming for free. I didn't look like him. I didn't sound like him. I didn't match up with him, and he couldn't make it make sense. I'm saying this to parents, your kid getting high doesn't make sense. So the help probably is not going to make sense. So none of it makes sense. He's stealing, she's stealing, they're in the street, they're lost. It doesn't make sense. So stop, I mean, hey, somebody's trying to help you, don't try to make it make sense except the help. It's like that old statement I heard of that said, if, if you get into the pearly gates and they're locked, you don't want a rabbi, a priest, or a minister. You want well, a locksmith, locksmith, or you want a, uh, a criminal. Yeah. Or someone who's had to break, break a lock, lock, right? Yeah, we need somebody that can actually break who, a freaking who get lock. The, who get the door open? Yeah, door open. Yeah. It's, you, not, it's not a... Um, can I get a, can I get a, can I get a pastor? Yeah, God would be locked out too. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? You yeah. need somebody that can, n- open locks. can open locks. That was number one, shame, number two. Number two is, I use this with my own son. Kids grow up with you. You become the center of everything. Good, bad, and different. Punishment, joy. And they get to the point where they tone you out. Yep. If they're in the street, they've toned you out. Yep. So you talking more doesn't make it better. You talking nicer doesn't make it better. You yelling doesn't make it better. The kid doesn't listen to you anymore. It's a hard thing to accept that your child doesn't listen to you. And even at 12 and 13, they don't listen to you. They'll it's run. It's not just the streets. It could be your kids oh, zoned, my son is, zoned you out to something online. My son is a great kid. Doesn't get in any major trouble. Doesn't do anything crazy. He's 14. But he doesn't, I'm dad. I'm the guy that's been telling him what to do his whole life. My sister, who's my favorite sister, by the way, will tell my son anything and he'll do it. I say, Brooks, let's go out and rake the grass. Dad, I'm busy, tired. My sister say, hey, let's go rake the neighborhood. He's running out the door. Hey, let's go get some ice cream. Nah, I don't want no ice cream. My sister say, hey, let's go get some, whatever my sister says, he can't wait to do because he wants, is new, he wants to please her doesn't need to please me anymore because he has me. We've got to find kids. If we can't be the mentor, we've got second to find voice. One. I call it the second voice. Second voice. You have to find the second voice and then use it. So I let my sister speak to my son. If I want my son really to do something, I ask my sister, yo, tell Brooks this. And he'll race down. He'll drag me there. My dad used to use my uncle to do that. Right. So the hardest thing to do is let somebody else be the voice for you, not interfere with it. I was doing something with somebody's kid the other day. I'm talking, the kid's getting it, and the mom kept chiming in. I'm like, I want to say this, be quiet, please. You're 80% of the problem. She's toned you out. So you're putting 
the um tone you're putting the tones that doesn't she doesn't respond to in the tone she's responding to. Just so stand down and let the second voice. When it comes to my son, you can say it's hard, but it's not. I let my sister do some of the heavy lifting. So letting somebody else help. Second voice. Find the second having voice. A second voice, and not just having a voice they like. It's a voice they respect. They respect. They have to respect. And you never person. know who it's going to be. It could be an uncle, a sister, a friend. It could be an audio. It could be anything. It could be anything. Could be a video game. Could be. Yep. Okay. So, if there's a, is, you control the kid's environment. So I put my son in a Christian center if I want him to learn gospel. Yep. I put him in. If I want him to learn how to be a gangster, I put him around a bunch of fake rappers. Yep. You know what I'm saying whatever. <laughs> So he's coming to Genius Network this week, and I want him to awesome. see business. Yep. So you control the environment, so you have to pick the environment, thus you pick the voice. But parents pick the environment and want to be the voice. Can't be both. Can't be both. And if you are lucky and can be both, that's great. Like it, It's almost like you see that, oh my God, I wish my kid would work with me like that. You say, I, I watch your daughter million, right now. Great. Your daughter loves you to death. Yep. She can't wait to jump on dad, yep. hold dad. She can't stand anybody to be talking I'm to you. waiting for the day. It's coming. I know. She's like, dad who? I'm yep. busy. Yeah. I'm busy. Yep, I know that. If I'm talking to you right now, she would say she'd be jumping up and making noise because yep. she's not getting full attention. Yep. 14? Yep. Whatever the age is. Reason. Yeah. So you're going to have to find that second voice that they can hear. And oftentimes, when I come to a person in need, 14 or 40, I represent the second voice. I don't try to mirror the parents. I just want to mirror the lessons they want them to get. So the next uh, marketing thing that we'll put up on your website is called The Second Voice and the power of the second voice and how your company offers the second voice. So just mark that down as one of your your things you're going to do. It'll be recorded here. here. So AndreNorman.com. 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 And definitely, definitely uh, check my man out. Uh, See what he's up to. If you run a company, you definitely want my man to speak. Uh, They can find out how to get a hold of you there. Yeah. If uh, you're dealing with some challenging stuff, I know he has some services and ideas how to help out with kids and youth and people. Just reach out and uh, definitely connect and get a hold of his book. Because, you know what happens? Uh, what's that? Because I do interventions. Yep. I talk to kids. I talk to businesses. People get confused. That's that's my biggest dilemma. So the business guy sees I go work at prisons. He says that doesn't apply. The mother sees I work with business people. They say that don't apply. The kids see, I work with CEOs, they say it doesn't apply. Everyone's so in a prison, though. I know. But I'm trying to say, how do I get these different silos to not worry about what I'm working in another silo? But I would put everything you have in one very simple context. People live in a prison, and you've mastered getting out of prison. Most of prison. people are in a prison in their life, and they're unhappy with some aspect of the life, and you know the keys on how to get out. And that's the power. And you figure Secrets it out. Secrets to surviving solitary. I love it. I love it. Solid, solid. Well, thanks for joining us for The Average Sucks Show. And the big question people ask is like, Michael, what is next? And the answer is simple. Get Average Sucks, my brand new book. And the reason why I want you to have this is if there's things you want in your life and for some reason you've said to yourself, why am I holding back? Why am I not getting what I want? I know I'm capable of more. This book answers all of that and more. So go to averagesucks.com. Check out all the other stuff on the page. Got a bunch of bonuses for you. Get the book, read the book. And most importantly, follow the instructions. They're very simple. You'll finish this little book in, uh, in a couple hours. Real easy to read. And it's going to start showing you how to get more of what you want in this world. So AverageSucks.com and catch us on the next Average Sucks show.